supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it does AM 1420, WBSM presents Spooky South Ghost with your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Poskin. Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz is back here in the Spooky studio. How are you tonight, Matt? Spooktacular. Now, you weren't with us uh, last week because you were actually out in the field working on some investigations uh, with with somebody who's not really the, the person you would think would be a paranormal investigator. Yeah, actually I was. It was a very interesting weekend. Um, I was in the upper cat skills with actor Richard Edson. Uh, many of you may remember him from his role in uh, first Bueller's day off. And, uh, he was also in like good morning Vietnam and mm -hmm. a handful of other movies and commercials and things. A former drummer for Sonic youth in their early days too, right? Correct. And, and for those who are wondering, Hey, who, who was he in Ferris Bueller? He's the, the parking lot attendant that steals Cameron's dad's car yeah, and takes that it for drives it for about half an hour throughout the movie. Yeah. yeah. Did he, did you ever ask him if he actually did take off in the car? Yeah, he actually did. He really was driving the car. Well, but in a, a, did he, did he leave the set with it? Cause I certainly would have. <laughs> you wanted to. I would have been out of there with that. So, but he is, uh, he isn't interested in the paranormal. I know you guys yeah. met in Roswell a few years ago. Uh, right. Yeah, right. We met in Roswell. Uh, he has an interest in the paranormal. Uh, uh, what most people don't realize is that um, Reese is a very smart man. Um, even though he has that thick New York accent and stuff like that, um, he does a lot of script editing and script review and writing for a lot of stuff in Hollywood. Wow. Yeah. It's crazy when you when you look at the interests that people have and and you know the different talents that they have and we know them for one thing, but there's so much more that they can do, and, and it's almost like they become pigeonholed. By that one, you know, role. Say we all, you know, like like Danny Trejo, the actor. I don't know if you're familiar with right. him. You know, here, here's a guy who gets out of prison and, and becomes, you know, the heavy in any movie where they need, a, you know, a, a Hispanic actor who who can be the bad guy. And that's kind of what it becomes pigeonholed. In. And then he gets a chance to do a couple of comedies. It turns out the guy's hilarious. Sounds men. That's that's who you surround yourself with, Matt Moniz. Renaissance yeah. men. I, I try to. I try to. That's why I hang out with you guys. Well, thank you for that. And speaking of Renaissance men, we're going to have a true Renaissance man joining us tonight, Patrick Burns. Uh, you know him from True TV's Haunting Evidence, and he's also the organizer of the Ghost Doc Conference, which is coming up uh, Salem, in Salem, Massachusetts, April 16th through the 19th. And, of course, we have uh, Patrick's website for Ghost Doc hooked up right on the front page of SpookySouthCoast.com. If you want to go there and check out the lineup, purchase your tickets now. Figure out what you're going to do when you're in Salem because there's so much to do and you're only going to be there for a few days. So maybe plan an extra day or two around that trip uh, for those of you coming in to the Massachusetts area. But for those of you who are here all the time and you get the chance to get up there, this is going to give you a different chance, uh, a different opportunity to see Salem in a, in a unique light. And uh, we'll talk with Patrick about all that and more in a few minutes. Uh, and also when you go to the front page of Spooky South Coast, as, as Matt Costa is doing right now, if you scroll down the page there, Matt Cossie, you'll see a little note where it says last week's show. Just a little tiny thing thrown at the end, mentioning that we've got a couple of the podcasts that we've been missing posted up onto the Internet over this past week, posted up on the feed. 
for those of you who subscribe directly to it, or if you use iTunes or Zune, you'll be able to pick it up that way. But uh, we are up through the end of 2008, which is uh, actually monumental for us. I've been a little bit uh, slacking in getting those up there. Of course, our friend Craig does a great job with the Blogspot site. He has the show up there pretty much a couple hours after it's done airing. So uh, if you ever miss the show or if you miss part of the show and you want to hear it in in its entirety, certainly go right to the Blogspot site. But if you'd like to have that downloadable podcast that we put out, uh, we've got up through 2000 up through the end of 2008, so they should all be up there, and we've got the rest of them coming hopefully the next week. I know I'm going to be slammed this week uh, covering high school tournament games, but that's what Matt Goss is for. I can yep. make him do the work. Actually, I'm going to put you on some duty uh, this week, if you don't mind. I'm going to have you uh, working on the Planet Paranormal site, oh, okay. uh, getting that updated. I'll, I can give you all the files, and you can just post. I, I can post them all up there, and you know, just if you can go back there and... and Kind of. We can talk about this off the air too, and it's going to be a lot less, uh, you know, boring for the, boring listener. For the listener. Yeah, but uh, I'll, I'll have you handle that. I'll tell you what, what we can do with that. And you can just help me out. We'll do it together. Okay. I need I need somebody to hold my hand all the time. All right. Well, and of course, if you'd like to join into the discussion with the paranormal, you can give us a call five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred five zero eight two nine one zero five hundred, and you can email us spooky crew. At SpookySouthCoast.com. We can receive the emails right here in the studio. You can also get us on MySpace as well. MySpace.com slash SpookySouthCoast. Uh, we'll, we'll be happy to answer any questions that you have or pose any questions to Patrick Burns. Uh, we encourage you to call in and speak with Patrick when he's on with us in a few minutes because uh, this is a unique chance to really get inside the mind of somebody that you see on one of these paranormal television programs. And we'll bring up some of the stuff we talked about a few weeks ago with Lindsay Malone uh, when she was railing against paranormal uh, reality television. And we're still getting emails about that. It's great. and, and Very you know, popular show. <laughs> some people have chastised us for bringing her on and for giving her you know, the airwaves and to have the form. But it's, it's called discourse, and that's what you need to have. Right. You know, you need to have these these discussions, and you know, we might not agree with her viewpoints on everything, and but that doesn't mean that her opinions aren't valid. I mean, maybe because they weren't, you know, thoroughly researched and and backed yeah. up, they can be looked upon a little bit less than other people's opinions. But still, I mean, you have to appreciate somebody who is kind of being the watchdog for paranormal television, and, and is doing it not in the way of these other watchdogs, quote-unquote, that we see that are like, hey, look at Taps, they're taking off their underwear. Ah, look at these guys, they're drinking. You know, not that type of a watchdog. I'm not looking for somebody that's going to, you know, denigrate these as people. I'm looking for somebody that's going to keep an eye on the program. And, and She did have a few valid points. Exactly. And, and I notice how you emphasize the word few. <laughs> but when somebody can come in and, and offer up, hey, here's what I see as a television program and what I'm drawing from this, we, we forget, as people in the paranormal community, that's actually what the bottom line is for these networks. Networks could give two craps, or couldn't give two craps for that matter, uh, of really how good of a job Jason and Grant, Ryan Buell, any of these people do as an investigator. They don't care about that. No, they're looking for the drama. Exactly, and they don't, they don't care what the paranormal community thinks of somebody's research methods or conclusions or how the show is presented. They care about whether or not people tune in, whether or not advertisers buy the spots, and, and really that's ultimately what it comes down to. And we look – I've got news here, actually. If you give me a second. I've got news about a new paranormal reality show – reality show I'm using in quote, air quotes, which I hate. 
Uh, e has ordered a reality project that puts an all-girl spin on the paranormal investigation genre. The show is titled Hot Girls in Scary Places and stars three University of Southern California cheer squad friends challenged to spend the night in a supposedly haunted for a $10,000 cash prize. They are totally scared and totally believe experiences they're going through, executive producer Gary Auerbach said. Hot Girls in Scary Places will premiere as a special slash backdoor pilot and is tentatively scheduled to air Friday, March 13th. So what that means is that a backdoor pilot, for those who don't know, it's kind of like a one-shot deal special, and then if the audience is big enough and if it gets enough buzz, then it can you know be ordered as a series. So that'll be Friday, March 13th on E! Hot Girls in Scary Places. They are hot. I don't know how scary the places are that they're going to. Um, it seems to me like they're kind of playing up that, that MTV fear uh, yeah. kind of thing where they're going to put them in. It might not even necessarily be a haunted place. They, they say allegedly haunted place. Uh, so, you know, that could mean they could create a whole backstory with a writing staff and they just want to get the reactions of it. You know, that's not a paranormal show to me. That's just, you know, using somebody's fear for entertainment value. I'm fine with that. But, um, you know, we'll see. They're from the USC uh, Song Girls. If you're familiar with the, the difference between a cheerleader and a song girl, do you know what the difference is between those, Matt, Matt Moniz? Well, I have my own. Well, <laughs> the, the, U, the USC cheerleaders, you know, they're, they're like, you know, they wear the more modern outfits and they do the cheering and the dancing. Right. The song girls wear like the old school cheerleader outfits and it's a little bit more traditional and uh, they're not, they're, they're, they're more there for like photo ops and, and, you know, they do a lot of that kind of stuff. The pep type of yeah, thing. and they they do they're like the the public face of the USC you know cheer dance program. So it'll it'll be inter- interesting to see anyway how they handle this. We're going to try and see if we can get these girls on. We gotta. Okay. We gotta. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we gotta see if we can get into some of these haunted locations with them as well. That would be pretty fun too. But uh, so there you go, hot girls in scary places. Friday, March thirteenth. All right, why don't we take a break? When we come back, we can talk to an actual paranormal investigator who's actually gone out and investigated things for real, uh, Patrick Burns. And, of course, we'll talk to you as well. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. Jive turkey, Macos. A JT. <laughs> uh, all right, welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, and science advisor, Matt Moniz. And joining us on the line right now is Patrick Burns, best known for the paranormal uh, investigation program Haunting Evidence on True TV, formerly Court TV. For three seasons, Patrick was called to apply his vast knowledge of electronics and computer systems toward the goal of documenting paranormal activity. He's also one of the most respected and in-demand paranormal researchers today, receiving requests to conduct investigations and lectures from coast to coast. His numerous technical skills include a mastery of advanced audio filtering techniques for enhancing faint EVP recordings. And, of course, when not in front of the camera, he can be seen working behind one. We're going to talk to him a little bit about some of his uh, photographic skills and, and how he applies IR light to that. 
And he's also the founder and director of Ghost Towns, one of the largest paranormal communities in the USA, and is the organizer and host of Ghost Talk, a paranormal enthusiast convention held annually at famous haunted locations across the country. And that's coming up in Salem, Mass., April 16th through the 19th. And uh, we'll talk with Pat about that, too. Patrick, how are you tonight? I'm doing great. Well, uh, we were talking new E program, Hot Girls in Scary Places. And considering you're one of the uh, forerunners of, of paranormal reality programming, i, I got to get your take on this. The idea <laughs> of three scantily clad USC co-eds running around in scary places in their pajamas with their teddy bears Hey, it might not add a whole lot to the field, but it'll certainly spice up my nights watching that on on TV. Yeah, um, I'm I'm wondering if I might get a, a job uh, as, as as a camera operator or maybe <laughs> uh, production assistant for that gig, huh? That, you know, I take whatever job they want to give me for it. <laughs> That's uh... I haven't heard about this actually. I I've, I've been out of the loop. I've actually been traveling uh, past week and uh, limited my online activities uh, while I was in Florida soaking up a little bit of sun and uh, conducting some investigations with friends down there. So uh, it, it, it doesn't surprise me, but uh, I have to wonder if, uh, if this isn't the, uh, you know, isn't the, this isn't the signal to the end, if uh, the, the paranormal television hasn't jumped the shark uh, when, 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 when they're, they're, they're resorting to, uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry, uh, very cheap tactics to, to, to draw in uh, ratings. I, I, I just, you know... Well, it is coming. I, I don't think that uh, the paranormal has to be treated like that. I, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I haven't had a chance to totally read up on the synopsis, but from what you just described to me there, um, I'll pass. You know, <laughs> uh, it's, uh, I, I've, I have too much respect for this field to, um, uh, you know, waste my time. Uh, I, I can get my, my pornography. And, and in, in the privacy of your own home. And exactly. The, the thing about this, though, is it is coming from that bastion of, uh, of academia known as the E-Network. So, uh, you know, the, I can't imagine there's going to be a lot of people flocking to this program to try to get an idea of what the paranormal is really about. I think with your show, Haunting Evidence, you, you guys did a great job of presenting just the different sides of how you know, paranormal investigation can be handled between the use of a, of a medium, between the use of the hardcore science. And I think you guys struck a nice balance. And because your show did such a good job of, of, of going down the middle with that and TAPS does a good job of holding on to the scientific pursuit and Paranormal State kind of will go into some of that more religious aspect, I think now they're just kind of just grasping at straws for whatever new thing they can add to it. Well, I think you're absolutely right. I, I, I think... Um, you know, eventually we're going to see a bubble. You know, the, the, the interest in the paranormal by Joe Q. Public will, will start to wane, and uh, you'll start to see fewer and fewer shows on, uh, on TV. And uh, like I said, you know, there, there's, a, there's a term in, uh, in the television industry that I said earlier. It's called jumping the shark, mm -hmm. and uh, that's a reference to the, the Happy Days episode uh, where the, the family uh, took uh, a trip out to college California, and it was two-part series. Uh, uh, Fonzie got into a, an argument with a, a local tough out there in, in Los Angeles called the California Kid, and he was a hot-shot water skier and uh, challenged uh, uh, Fonzie to jump uh, this, this uh, great white shark that had been uh, uh, cordoned off offshore, uh, and uh, he chickens out at the last minute, and Fonzie, of course, jumps the shark successfully, wearing his leather jacket, of course, on water skis. <laughs> Um, and in television community, that, that basically that was that sort of signaled the beginning of the end 
for for happy days and in the opinion of a lot of people it kind of dwindled and went downhill from there so now um when uh, a series has uh has kind of maxed out and hit their pinnacle um they they pull out all the stops um and it's 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 a term in, in the broadcasting industry referred to jumping the shark i'm sorry when when they have to uh, do uh, ghost hunters gone wild which is what it sounds <laughs> like this show is um uh, paranormal television is its days are numbered. I think. Well, we know that uh, we know it might be time for a downturn in paranormal programming when the uh, new guest investigator on Ghost Hunters will be Ted McGinley, who is the uh, yeah. pa- patron saint of Jump the Shark. <laughs> Usually, when he comes onto a program, that signals the end is near. So, okay, know, if, they, if they start yeah. bringing him on as a guest investigator, you know that the death toll is a uh, is sound. Yeah. Well, it, but. How do you balance that? How do you balance being part of a paranormal reality program as you were and still be able to go out and do other investigations and not have, you know, people expect you to be as they see on television? Well, you know, yes and no. Um, It's really kind of interesting. Um, You know, first off, you know, people refer to me as a a paranormal celebrity, and that drives me crazy. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like I've ever acted like one. You know, I... I go to these conferences, and many times I get up to do to do a um, to do a speech, to do a lecture, and I get nervous. I can talk in front of lay people all day because they just think we're nuts anyway. But you get me up in front of a, a room full of my peers, and that's how I view people in the field as my peers, as my equal. I just happened to get very lucky. I got in on the ground floor when paranormal programming was in its infancy, and it was luck. I wasn't trying. The, 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 the production company, Departure Films, they came to me. They liked what they saw with my prior media work. And, you know, the rest, as they say, is history. I, I, got, I, got, uh, I got lucky. But I've never considered myself a paranormal celebrity, quote-unquote. I've never elevated myself above anyone else in this field or, or gotten an arrogant mindset. I go to these events, and just as much as I teach and lecture other people that are there. Every time I go to one of these conferences, I learn something new. I walk away with with knowledge that I didn't know or a perspective or a new device or a new technique that somebody else is is out there pioneering. You know, that's the great thing about this field is that it's really, at its core, it is really a grassroots movement. Um, There are no experts in the paranormal. You know, it drives me nuts when, when my network calls, calls me a paranormal expert. I am no such thing. There is no such thing. There's nobody that's an expert in this field. I don't care how many TV shows you're on. I don't care how many books you've written. Everything in this field is, is hypothetical, okay? And, you know, we, we have so little hardcore evidence that can withstand true scientific scrutiny. So I go to these events, and... I don't, you know, I, I, I try to be, you know, as humble as possible. I, I'm, I'm humbled by, by the, the amazing opportunity that was presented to me being cast on, on Haunting Evidence. Don't, mm-hmm. don't get me wrong. I, that was a, a, a life-changing moment for me that I have absolutely no regrets about, um, and it, it, it's just been great. It was a great experience while the show was in production. But I'm still, you know, I'm still learning just like everyone else. Just because I'm, t- I'm on TV does not automatically elevate me to a better paranormal investigator than you or anyone else out there. And so I go to these events, and I actually, you know, I, I think a lot of people get surprised when they say, Patrick, you know, we've got an investigation that we've got coming up. I'm like, great, give me a call. 
they kind of do a double take, like they were expecting me to say, oh, I'm, I'm too busy, mm-hmm. you know, which a lot of times I am, but I'll, I'll be like, you know, check my schedule. It's online. If, if, you, can, if you can try to, to schedule something um, that agrees with, with my prior commitments that I have and me to, you know, pay, pay my travel expenses uh, to come out, I'd love to investigate. I love working with other groups. I love learning their techniques. And uh, you know, I think that aspect of me is, is never going to change. I just, I just happen to be one of many who got, got his big break and, and got a lucky break at that to, to be cast on a TV show. That's all. I'm still just Patrick Burns, paranormal investigator, just like everyone else. Well, Pat, we would love to have you up here and investigate with you in local places around here. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, have no, you, no, I'll have be up in the Lizzie woods come, come uh, uh, mid-April, so uh, you know, either something before before Ghost Stock or afterwards, you guys let me know. Well, I was going to say, you got, while you're up here, we've got to get you into Lizzie Borden's house. Oh, I would love to. I have never been. Uh, that's definitely one of my. That's on my bucket list of, of paranormal investigation locations. Right, consider it done. Yeah. All right. Just uh, we'll just plan it for either before or after, and we'll make sure that we can get in there on a quiet night when it'll be just us. And it, it's Fantastic. one thing that that would probably be better. Um, say maybe April April twentieth that Monday. I'll just plan on on staying up in in uh, Salem an extra day or two, and uh, and we'll 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 try and take it from there. Tell you what. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk after the show. Keep in touch with me, and, and, and we'll, we'll make it happen. I would love to do that. I got a spare room. You can stay with me, Pat. We'll, there you go. We'll make... <laughs> All I need is a sofa or uh, a comfortable stretch of floor. I, I, I can I can crash out anywhere. We got you covered. Yeah, totally. All right. All right so but talk about Ghost Doc now, and we talked about this last week with you for a few minutes uh, when, yeah. when we had you on for just a little bit, but... To make the move, you know, to, to come up here to Salem where there's not a lot of, believe it or not, for such a haunted area of the world, there's not a lot of these conferences and, and events taking place here in the Massachusetts area. So to come and to be able to utilize some of the local people as well, uh, I think that, you know, you're kind of breaking down a door that really should have been open from day one. Absolutely. And I don't, I really don't understand why it hasn't been. Of course, um you know, taps are, are from Rhode Island. They're right next door to you guys. Um, I don't. I don't know why. Um, I, I don't know why there hasn't been more interest in doing these types of events in New England, and certainly Salem. I mean, Salem. Come on, think of Salem and what's the first vision or whatever that pops in your mind. You think of the witch trials. Mm-hmm. Okay, paranormal history there. Um, you know, just re- regular historic uh, American history, nonetheless. But it, it's a beautiful um, uh, seaport town on the, on the eastern seaboard in New England. I mean, everything up that way is active. There, there are ghost stories everywhere. Any, any place you have colonial structures, uh, it really has perplexed me that more people haven't capitalized on doing uh, events in, in New England, in Salem. Uh, you know, so maybe what I'm doing here, maybe I'm, I'm, maybe I am breaking some new ground. Um, you know, like you said, I had done six of these events in in uh, Savannah, Georgia, which is a great town. Um, and eventually, we will probably return to, to Savannah at some point in the future. But um, we just, uh, you know, we did six of them there. And at one point in time, I said that fixture to Savannah, I kind of had a, a change of heart. I, it, people were telling me. 
uh, for years, they've been telling me, why don't you guys do something in Salem? Why don't you do something in Salem? Why don't you do something in Salem? Salem would be awesome. And finally, I said, yeah, you know, why don't we do something in Salem? You know, I, I kept waiting for somebody else to organize an event there, and I'm still waiting. And I said, okay, well, you know, I basically made the decision about a year ago that I was going to concentrate on Salem, Massachusetts for Go Stock 7. And uh, so we're, we're going to do it this spring. We're going to make it finally happen. And, uh, you know, maybe um, maybe I will break down some barriers uh, up there, and maybe uh, you'll start to see some more events uh, coming up your way because I think it's a travesty. You guys have such incredible history in that part of the country. I mean, that's that's the cradle of, of the United States of America, right there, New England. Absolutely. And uh, the, the the fact that it's it's not being appreciated by more paranormal investigators, it, it is a travesty. And you know, hopefully, Ghost Stock Seven will will change that for the better. For we you guys, we definitely appreciate the uh, availability of some of the old places. I mean, Tim and I and Matt live in a town one town over from Plymouth where everything pretty much all started. When sure. You, when you have houses that are 300 and something years old, you know, every other <laughs> block, it, it we have to consider ourselves lucky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's 300 and something years old. That's almost inconceivable. It's it's really difficult to wrap your, your, your mind around that that, 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 that structure has been there for over 300 years. Now, country is only, two, only 200 and... You know what? Uh, 230 years old, right. 233 years old. Um, that, that's that's just—it's almost inconceivable to think that those structures were there, and the people that built them died. You know, probably years or decades before we won our independence. We were still a British colony at that time. What, what's so crazy about just, it? Oh, I mean, to cut you yeah. off. I say what's crazy about it though is that you know you have these these structures that are over 300 years old, but occasionally you you get the opportunity to still be the first ones to get in there and investigate. Right. We we have that opportunity in a tavern built in 1693, and we, all these years of of paranormal activity building up, just waiting for somebody to come in and absolutely. be the first first person to point a tape recorder at it. And that's yeah, absolutely. That that's incredible, and that's happened actually for us in uh, in our event we did in Ghost at Ghost Dock in in Savannah. Um, our, our former um, uh, uh, investigation coordinator for Ghost Dock, uh, she managed to get us some amazing locations that had never had a paranormal investigation team come in there before. So it's, yeah, I mean, that's really cool. When you find a, a virgin location like that that has never been investigated, like you said, it, it's had all this time to build up that energy and... You know, I would imagine, you know, you, you, you'll get some pretty intense energy or pretty intense uh, data when you go into a location. All of a sudden, you know, whatever is there, whatever energy is leaking, lurking around is all of a sudden, huh, what? Somebody's finally paying attention to me? Mm-hmm. It only took you three 300 years about time, right? And and where you're headed for, for Ghost Dock, the Hawthorne Hotel, that's had a long history of, you know, something trying to get its point across for for quite a long time and yeah. now finally the paranormal community is paying attention i think that's kind of because they've finally been willing to open the doors for that definitely definitely you know it, that that is the upside to uh television programs such as haunting evidence and ghost hunters is that they're making this this field of research more visible to the lay people and you know now when you call up and say hey we'd like to conduct a paranormal investigation uh, you know, whereas 10 years ago they'd be like what What's that? 
You know, mm-hmm. now everybody knows exactly what you're, you're you're up to, and they're like, "Oh, you're going to do a ghost hunt? Okay, yeah, very cool." Um, you know, th- there's still some doors that are they're slammed in our face. We, there's still some uh, locations that want absolutely nothing to do with us. I think that's out of fear. More, you know, we might rile something up, or something's already been riled up, and they simply just want to keep it on the down low because they're afraid it's going to be bad for business. Mm-hmm. But definitely, there's there, there's a much deeper um, acceptance and appreciation for what it is we're doing uh, from the general public uh, than there was just ten years ago. Well, you're certainly bringing an all-star lineup with you to Salem. Uh, yourself, of course, John Zaffis, who's familiar to to everybody who pays attention to the paranormal field. Uh, Chris Absolutely. Fleming from from Dead Famous, Keith Age, Bob Honeycutt, Fiona Broom, Father Andrew Calder, uh, Marley Gibson, Dave Schrader, Shannon Sylvia. I mean, just such a, a mix of of People who are kind of, you know, I know you don't like the term paranormal celebrities, but people who are well-known in the community as being uh, media personalities as well as investigators. And then they're going to get – so that's going to be the kind of the draw for the regular folks, to to get a chance to go and and talk to Shannon Sylvia, John Zaffis, and then then to have – you know, people like like Father Andrew, who a lot of people might not be familiar with, but who definitely has something to say in the paranormal community. It's like it, it's kind of like you know the 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 old. Uh, you know, throw out the fishing line, draw them to the bait, then pull them, you know, pull them into the boat. Absolutely, and... yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, um, and that's that's one of the cool the, the cool things about our event. Um, obviously, I know all of the uh, the, uh, the 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 well known the, the the media names um, that are on our roster, and um, I wouldn't have invited anybody unless you know I, I had a very good feeling about them you know i know shannon personally very well i know father andrew i know bob honeycutt these are all in my opinion the creme de la creme of of people in our field um you know that they're just they're very down to earth they're very um eager to work with other people you know i wanted to have people on my roster that are not just going to go and you know do their panel and then sit behind their table, sell T-shirts, and then you don't see them for the rest of the night. I wanted, I wanted people that are actually passionate about the field and uh, will, will actually want to participate on the ghost hunts um, uh, later on at, that night. So I'm, I'm hoping if, if all goes well, if all goes planned, um, for the numerous ghost hunts that we actually have uh, that we will be scheduling, I hope to have at least one of our uh, guest speakers lead up each investigation at different locations uh, that, that we, we all go to. So, um, you know, and, and that's the thing. Like I said, I, I know all of these people personally. They are all just my among my very best friends in this field. They're very down to earth. They don't belittle anyone. They're, you know, very eager to work with other people and talk with them. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I, I'm really, really excited about the guest lineup that we have for it, this year it's and kind of, uh it's just going to be a lot of fun i think it's kind of like what we were saying before though about bringing something here that that doesn't usually happen here you're bringing people to the paranormal community in new england where they might not be familiar with i mean right like, for example bob honeycutt down your neck of the woods everybody knows bob and sure. people who are really into the into the field they're familiar with him and he's, he's a pretty innovative guy and he's Very been around so. for a long time but a lot of these you know newer groups up here might not be yeah. familiar with his work so here's a chance to to see him speak to kind of learn yeah. what he's all about bob is a great investigator he's one of my best friends in this field and he really hasn't 
he's really done it on his own without um, using a uh, a major um, uh, television show sort of as his springboard. He's kind of built his his name on his own merit, um, which is something really that says a lot about him. That he's he's uh, you know he's earned respect from his peers. Not because he's on a major television show, but because he's a hardworking paranormal investigator that's been doing this for years. He is very passionate about what he does, and you know he, he's, his peers are starting to take notice of him, and he's starting to build a name, um, you know, uh, based on his own merits, which is is fantastic. I, I know that he's he's been involved in several pilot uh, episodes that uh, have, um, I guess, been met to you know with varying degrees of success. But he's really, um, you know, bottom line is that he's he's really um, made a name for himself on his own merits, and I, I've got to applaud him for that. And uh, like I said again, one of my best friends in the field, and um, one of the one of the harder working paranormal investigators out there that you will meet. And uh, you know, absolutely honored to have him back for uh, for Ghost Talk again as one of our guest speakers. Oh, we have to take a real quick break. Uh, when we come back, we can talk about Ghost Talk some more as well as some other things. But if people want to log on right now, they can purchase tickets uh, through, through the Ghost Talk website as we speak? Yes, that is ghostdoc.com, G-H-O-S-T-O-C-K.com, G-H-O-S-T-O-C-K.com. If you can't remember uh, the URL to spell it, just do a search for uh, Paranormal Conference in Salem and uh, on Google, and you should find a link link there. And we got a link right up on the front page of SpookySouthCoast.com as well. Uh, just click Thanks. right there because they're going to start to go quick as we get closer. April uh, 16th, 16th through the 19th, through the 19th yes. at the Hawthorne Hotel in Salem, Ghost Talk 7 with Patrick Burns and a, a great slate of guest speakers. So check that out right now. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll take your calls as well, 508-996-0500. 508-291-0500, and we'll have more with Patrick Burns in just a minute here on Spooky South Coast. Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. All right, welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Good thing you faded that down. I'll just listen to the song for the rest of the show. I love that song. All right, this is Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, and science advisor, Matt Moniz. And we are talking with Patrick Burns, paranormal investigator. You know him from True TV's Haunting Evidence. And also, he's the organizer of Ghost Doc 7, coming up April 16th through 19th at the Hawthorne Hotel in Salem. And uh, Matt Moniz, you were saying uh, during the break, you were talking about some of the other paranormal stories around Salem. And I, I was mentioning to you, you know, for all this you know history they have regarding the witches right it, there's actually very few witch ghosts supposedly there and it's a lot more uh, of what you were saying yeah well what most people don't realize is uh for close to 100 years salem was the largest pirate port i mean uh it was known th throughout uh, the eastern seaboard is where all of the pirates hang out and a lot of the ghost ships are seen in and around the harbor, as well as ghosts of pirates. So there's more ghosts of pirates than there are witches or any other type of thing. Most people aren't aware of that. Is that is that part of your program, Patrick, or is that information? Absolutely, yeah. We're, we're we're definitely looking to celebrate all aspects of um, of of uh, you know Salem's history. Um, like I said earlier, when you think of Salem, the first thing that 
that pops in your mind is the witch trials of 1692, um, which were a travesty, of course, in and of themselves. I mean, just just an absolute abomination of justice more than anything. Uh, that uh, you know, these people were were basically uh, uh, you know murdered um, without without a fair trial uh, by uh, religious zealots. Let's just call a spade a spade and say it what it was. It was just. Uh, religious f- fanatics that that latched on to uh, uh, onto this, they, they they just got caught into this uh, this this one track mentality, and uh, you know finally, eventually, people came to their senses and said, "Hey, wait a second, you know maybe we're we're getting carried away here." Um, but yeah, all all aspects of Salem and, and the whole New England, um, uh, you know, uh, experience of, of paranormal events and, and activity were definitely. Um, Going to uh, going to celebrate that. I know our, our logo has our, our little mascot Boo wearing a witch's hat, um, <laughs> but uh, you know that, that just seemed like a uh, um, an obvious choice. So, uh, so do the police cars, though. The you know, <laughs> the police right. cars have the witches on them. So you gotta you gotta go with what works. What? Yeah, what... absolutely. And you know that that's one of the the things I think is probably the coolest thing about Salem that that I find is, you know, uh, back. Gosh, what what was it? Four hundred years ago, um, the uh, the witches were were persecuted, and you know innocent people that were not even practicing witchcraft were persecuted by by the authorities. And uh, now it's completely gone full circle. It's a one hundred eighty degree shift. Not only are witches celebrated in Salem now, but the police have the witches on their on on their police car. They the police have their back. So. <laughs> The witches, the Wiccan definitely taken uh, lemons and made lemonade out of the situation. Absolutely. And, and the, they also hold certain souls yeah. in the city, too. <laughs> I, I do not doubt that one bit. I do not doubt that one bit at all, and good for them. It's not all uh, it's it's not all uh, bed knobs and broomsticks up there either. You know, people, a lot of people are serious about practicing, you know, the Wiccan religion, and, and they like to sure. be drawn to that place as, as kind of like just a, a, a mecca almost. And, you know... It, they don't play it up. They don't make it public. It's just you know they live amongst the regular Salemites, and and you would know the their religion. Sure, mm-hmm. absolutely, absolutely. Thing. But I, you know, I I, I, I do, um, I do. You know, you, you really gotta gotta commend uh, them for for taking what was what was just a really bad situation all around, and turning it around and, and making it. Uh, now you think of you know you think of witches and. Uh, uh, you know, associated with a city in Salem immediately springs to mind, and now it is—it's even referred to as the Witch City. Which, so they—they have, they have really taken a, a bad situation and completely done a 180-degree polar opposite turnaround, and uh, th- that's just got to be one of the, the greatest success stories in in the history of uh, of of mankind. It really is. Well, one thing I want to talk to you about, Patrick, too, in the few minutes we have left is uh, on your website, people can check out some of your photography work, and, and they can go to your site for that, too, patrick-burns.net. But you actually work exclusively in the infrared medium for photography work, and I think that's extremely interesting, not only for the the images that it creates, but also because I think that kind of makes you somebody I would want to go to if I had something anomalous that would come up while while filming or shooting an IR because you're you're asking with that just for uh, you know just regular photography. Well, um, I saw my first infrared images when I was a child. Uh, my dad, my brother, rather, was uh, working as a uh, photographer's assistant 
uh, with a, a guy who owned a studio in Chicago, and uh, I saw some samples of his work. He was a great photographer, uh, a man from Argentina. I can't, uh, Tony was his name. And he had these photographs that had these bizarre falsers on them that I'd never seen before. And, of course, we're talking early 1980s. This is, you know, this is, this is uh, at least a, a full decade before uh, Photoshop, you know, digital Im- image manipulation became mm-hmm. in the forefront. And I asked him about it. I said, why is, this, why is this apple purple in this photo? And he said, oh, that's an infrared photo. I took that with infrared film. And I was like, wow, you know, it's just amazing. It's beautiful, uh, the false colors on that. And um, years later, I saw actual examples of, of infrared photography done in, uh, um, you know, in an artistic medium. And then as I started to take more of a, 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 uh, uh, a technical interest in aspects of paranormal investigation and ghost hunting, I uh, learned that many very interesting anomalies and even full-bodied apparitions have been captured on infrared film. Uh, you know, and, and these apparitions apparently do not show up to the naked eye. So there was a, a, an immediate interest in infrared photography for me uh, from that perspective in that um, you know, all of a sudden, wow, okay, you can actually use this for taking something other than pretty photos. Uh, for season two of Haunting Evidence, they asked me, they said, Patrick, what, what's some new equipment that you would like to incorporate for for the second season i said well one of the things i'd love to have would be a an a uh, digital camera modified modified to take infrared photos uh it's a race recently uh or rather a very recent development where you can modify a digital camera to take infrared photos instead of having to buy infrared film which of course is more expensive mm-hmm. has uh, so they got me this camera i used it for a few episodes and then uh our our production manager asked me Hey Patrick, you want to take it home with you for a couple of weeks? I said, "Huh? Yeah." He said, "Okay. Well, uh, bring it with you to Aruba when we go to film the Natalie Holloway episode." And uh, when I got to back to Atlanta, I took it down to historic Oakland Cemetery in the heart of Atlanta, Georgia. It's a cemetery that uh, dates back to the early 1800s. It's the only part of the city still standing since the Civil War. And uh, I had seen examples of infrared photography done in cemeteries, and cemeteries, for whatever reason, just lend themselves to this as an artistic medium. I went down there and I took a series of photos, uh, maybe maybe uh, 80 or 90 photos, and got very excited by the results that I was getting. Took them home, showed them to some friends and family members, and my friends and family were, were just completely blown away by this stuff. They were like, Patrick, this stuff needs to be hanging up in a gallery someplace. You definitely have an eye for it. I was very humbled and, uh, you know, said, wow, okay, I guess I'm a, a photographer now. And uh, <laughs> that, was the, uh, that was the birth of, of Patrick Burns Photography. And, again, uh, if any of your listeners are interested in seeing examples of my work, they can uh, view my, my, uh, my gallery and uh, purchase prints online at patrick-burns.net. I got a question for you, Pat. Sure. Are you familiar with a person by the name of Trevor James Constable? I'm sorry, say again? Trevor James Constable. That name sounds very familiar, but uh, for whatever reason at the moment, it's not ringing an immediate bell with me. Well, he was a paranormal researcher back in the 50s, and he used to use uh, infrared film exclusively for uh, tracking what he used to call Okay, sky okay. I thought the name sounded familiar. Thank you very much. Okay. All right. Well, we're just about out of time, Patrick, but we thank you for joining us. Uh, we are, we're up against the news break here, but uh, again... 
April 16th through the 19th, Salem Mass at the Hawthorne Hotel. Tickets still available if you go to ghoststock.com, G-H-O-S-T-O-C-K.com. Also linked up on the front page of SpookySouthCoast.com. And it's just, it's going to be a great, great event. Uh, Patrick Burns, of course, John Zaffis, Chris Fleming, Keith Age, a whole big slate of people. And, of course, as, as Patrick, you were saying before, not just people getting up and giving a talk, but also right there, hands-on, investigating with you as well. We thank you for joining us, and uh, hopefully everything goes well. Keep us up to date as uh, things get closer to the date, and uh, hopefully we can work something out where you can come down our neck of the woods while you're up here. I hope so, guys. All right. Thank you thank very you much. Thank you so much. Thanks, Good thank luck you so with much everything. for all your help. All Take right, care. Anytime. All right. So, well, uh, we are up against the break, as I said. Uh, when we come back, we will do the Week in Weird, the return of the Week in Weird after having such a busy week last week. We didn't get to it. Uh, talking with the guys from Soul Smack and their film, Your Worst Nightmare, Supernatural Assault. You can still pick that up at their site, soulsmack.com. I got a chance to see a little bit of it. Uh, I just got my copy in the mail. And I didn't get a chance to watch the whole thing, but I'm loving what I've seen so far. And if uh, you'd like to find out more, just go to their site, soulsmack.com. And so when we come back, we'll do the Week in Weird, and then we'll kick around some more topics. And, of course, we'll talk to you, 508-996-0500, Those are the numbers. And email us, spookycrew at spookysouthcoast.com, anytime. So we'll be right back in just a bit after the news with more Spooky South Coast. South Coast is back. It's Saturday night. I have no date. A two-liter bottle of Shasta and my all-rush mixtape. Let's rock. I'm not afraid. You will. Good evening. Welcome back. Hour number two of Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, and science advisor, Matt Moniz, is here in the studio as well. And uh, he's going to be all over the place next month, though. He's, he's got next a bunch of stuff going months. on. and Yeah, we're, we're hardly ever going to see this guy, which, you know, they say absence makes the heart grow fonder, but <laughs> not when we're talking about Moniz. Just kidding. Just kidding. And he's wearing the spooky South Coast shirt tonight. Does he that represent. Does that, uh, does that get you any discounts at any local businesses? or No. No? Yeah, I didn't think so. Tell you what, though, it'll give you a free copy of the Standard Times. Because uh, I'll buy it for you. <laughs> Actually, I don't know. I don't know how much they're charging for that thing you anymore now. a three-day-old copy of the Standard Times. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And a stale donut from the Mill Pond. <laughs> so uh, we are here talking about the paranormal, usually. And uh, <laughs> I just want to send a couple of, as they say in, in the biz, Shout-outs. Is that the, do the kids still use that word, Matt Costa, the shout-out? I don't know. I'm not, I, I I'm think not sh- down. I think the word shout-out died, at least to me, when Carson Daly and Dave Holmes started using it on MTV. Hey, everybody, Dave, people that voted for me. 
And by the way, to answer your question, Dave Holmes lost to Jesse Camp. Oh, did he? That's what okay. ended up happening. We were, we were having a big debate the other day about MTV 90s VJs and, and everything. And it took me like two hours to come up with John Norris. MTV had VJs in, in the, the 90s. 90s? They still played videos back then. Oh. Yeah, I know. So, uh, including <laughs> one we had totally forgotten about, Sensio, John Sensio. <laughs> How did we forget about Sensio? I hated that guy. Uh, but now that I've watched all the clips, he didn't really seem that bad compared to Sway. All right, well, let's uh, get back <laughs> on topic here. Uh, I'd like to send a couple of those shout-outs uh, to some of our listeners and friends. First of all, always to Craig, who runs the Blogspot site. We always thank you for the work that you do there. But also, I want to send one out to our friend Ray J., uh, who every once you know, I, I sign up Matt Moniz for the Google alerts. Uh, so whenever yeah. anything's written about our show, you know, it comes back to me so I can kind of see, okay, you know, there's something mentioned on this site, something mentioned on this site, just so we can keep track of everything and, and link to things as we need to. You mean more than the hate mail that we usually get? Yeah, well, the hate mail, it usually starts off nice. Hey, I love your show, but I hate you because you never load up the podcast. <laughs> but we're fixing that. We're fixing that. But uh, any, anyway, so I, I get this uh, Google alert for a, a blog posting about our show. So I'm like, hmm, let me check that out. And I, I read, it's our friend Ray J who has a, a blog, and he frequently mentions the show, and, and uh, he's a big fan. And, and he mentioned about how Spooky South Coast actually changed his life. Those are the words that he used. His words, not mine. And, and he even wrote, I, I can't believe, I, I didn't realize that until I just wrote it, but they did change his life. Because what we did is we kind of... We're sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we, but what we did is he, he had a, 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 a interest in the paranormal. And by listening to the program, he started to get more and more into it and started to delve more into the research and get more involved. And now he's going out into the field and, and investigating. And I'm just glad that we can have, if, it's, if he's the only person that's listening this week or any week, you know, we're glad that we can have that kind of an impact to... to do the little thing that we do here on this program and, and have somebody say, wait a minute, I'd like to rethink the way things are going, uh, rethink you know my approach to this and actually get more involved based on what I've heard in your program, then we're doing the job right. What you're saying is he got up out, out of the armchair and went to go look for himself. Uh, and you know what's funny? And I, I, I'm just putting words into, into his mouth, but I don't think it had anything to do with us. No, he I think says, his he says it has to do with us. There. Well, he says it has to do with us, but it has nothing to do with us. It has to do with the great guests that we've had on yeah. and, and, you know, the, the discussions that we've been able to have with people and the fact that, you know, maybe when we get phone calls from people, we don't, you know, discount what it is that they're saying. So I, I think that that's probably what did it. I mean, we're just the facilitators to that. Yeah, we're the vehicle. Yeah, we're just here to answer the phone. You know, we're here to get the guest on the phone and then answer the phone when you want to call in and talk to the guest. That's basically all we're here for. We ask the questions that you're thinking of at home, but that you don't have the time or the, the uh, maybe you're not confident enough to call in with. That, that's all we're here for. And, and I think as we see this explosion of paranormal media, as we were talking about with Patrick Burns earlier, you're seeing a whole bunch of people that are the, hey, look at me, I want to be the star, and this just happens to be something that I do that might be an avenue toward that. And I think that that's where things are going wrong. First of all, guys like Patrick Burns, Jason and Grant, Ryan Buell, these people, these people actually make it in the business of paranormal reality programming because they can be television stars as well as paranormal investigators. They can be television presence. You know, they, they, people, everybody thinks they can be on TV, but not everybody can. Mm. Just it, game shows and, and, and watch the news. Compare a game show 
to the news, okay? The news is people that you don't actually want on television. They're people that have just kind of happened into something, and therefore you're interviewing them, and that's where you get a lot of the uh, people that you yeah, yeah, well, over there, I just saw the car blow up, and, you know, and then when you watch a game show, you get exactly what they're looking for when they put these contestants on. They're getting these people that jump up and down and bump butts with Wayne Brady while they're singing, you know, you know that's <laughs> the difference. That's the difference between who should be on television and who shouldn't be in the most extreme examples. Just my little... My little rant for the see. I don't. I don't have a blog because I don't need a blog. I can this just use the airwaves. <laughs> I'm a. I'm a better writer than I am a talker. But uh, you know, we've got two hours to fill every week, so I save my rants for the airwaves. Matt Costa, got anything you want to get off your chest? Um, no. When did Light Bright become so horrible? By the way, I don't know. I used to think Light Bright was awesome. Now my son has one. And it's just all you can see is that damn light bulb behind everything. It's like, <laughs> oh, it's blinding me. I made this whole big intricate thing, and I can't see it. All I can see is that light bulb. Maybe it's because it's like the travel light bright. Okay. By the way, huh? Milton Bradley, have you ever heard of LED? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, these days you can make a light bright with each individual light bulb on its own. Okay, that's enough. <sighs> well, you know me. You know what they copyright say about me. Copyright and trademark, Tim Weisberg. <laughs> you know, uh, actually, when you talk about copyrights and trademarks, and this actually does relate to the paranormal a little bit. I, I recently, uh, as we've talked here on the show, because I'm, I'm proud of it, I recently purchased the PlayStation 3. Right. And I now have the ability to watch Blu-ray movies. So I'm looking back and, and seeing some Blu-rays that I want to add to my catalog. And everybody knows my favorite horror movie of all time is Poltergeist. And so I'm looking to, to purchase that Blu-ray and add it to my collection. I'm doing a little bit of a reading. A little, and I had totally forgotten about the, the quote-unquote Pizza Hut edit in the film. Uh, if uh, if you're not familiar, in the scene in the kitchen where they first start to realize there's paranormal activity happening and, and the, the spirits are kind of moving Carol Ann across the floor, you know, she casually mentions to her parents while they're making her get tossed around the kitchen, can we go to Pizza Hut? And, and the actual original line from the film is uh, Craig T. Nelson responds, I hate Pizza Hut. And then... They have, you know, whatever, a couple seconds of that scene ends it. And then the next scene is them walking onto the neighbor's porch to talk to the neighbor. But instead, uh, the way it's edited now is it immediately chops out of that scene when Joe Beth Williams is in the middle of a sentence and then jumps right onto the neighbor's porch. It's like a really, really bad edit. And I guess people have been complaining about it for years, and I just never really picked up on it because I don't either catch that part of the movie or or I'm just not really paying attention to it. And it turns out that the speculate, speculative reason is because Pizza Hut got really mad that somebody in the movie said, I hate Pizza Hut, and made them take it out. And because they couldn't do a seamless edit, you know, they, they kind of just had to chop it out. So interesting. And I, I, apparently the original footage no longer exists because none of the subsequent VHS or DVD releases have ha have had that scene in its entirety. So maybe I'm wrong. If you know where it is, shoot me an email, Spooky Crew at SpookySouthCoast.com. There's got to be somebody who has a television airing of it uh, from like 1982, 1983, uh, where they still have that line in maybe. Um, I know I first caught it on television 83 or 84 to recall seeing that line, but I, I, I may be just be my imagination. So, All right, is that is that boring enough? Does that um, bore yeah. you guys? I'm it did. Sure, no. <laughs> it worked. You know how much I am. You know how I'm into the minutia of that movie. You know, just everything about that movie, you can break it. It is the perfect paranormal movie to me. I'm sorry. It's just. That and the Frighteners? 
The Frighteners was also <laughs> great. The Frighteners was a great film. It's it's very under uh, underappreciated. You know. Uh, that whoever that guy was that played the the jogger that died, he was he was great too. <laughs> Bannister, Bannister, I'm gonna kill you, Bannister. All right. All right. Is it time to get weird? I think so. All right. Let's do it. More bad news. Well, I got a great show for you today with some wonderful weird stuff. I feel, I feel so very weird. <laughs> The Week in Weird. All right. Well, for my story, I actually have two stories. So I'm going to take up a lot of The Week in Weird time with my two stories. So. Well, la-dee-da. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've been sitting on them for a couple of weeks. That's why. And one of them actually comes from a Spooky South Coast listener who has won a bumper sticker for submitting the story. So we have to make sure we read it. Uh, this comes from Nairi, posted it on, uh, actually she emailed it to us, uh, Spooky Crew at SpookySouthCoast.com. So she will get a, a bumper sticker if she just uh, sends us an email with her shipping information and we'll send that off to her. This comes from the Associated Press. A self-described vampire and former fringe political candidate faces charges for threatening a teenage girl who tried to break off their relationship by telling him she was actually a vampire hunter. John Albert Sharkey, 44, of Toms River, New Jersey. Oh, that's Bruce Springsteen's hometown. One of, well, where he lives now. He's originally from Freehold. But anyway, was on $125,000 bail. This was like Wednesday from like two months ago. He was charged last summer but didn't appear in court until last month after he was arrested on a warrant. Sharkey's public defender, Rick Smith, had asked that the charges be dismissed for lack of probable cause. Sharkey, who calls himself the Impaler, ran as the Vampires, Witches, and Pagans party candidate for Minnesota governor in 2006 when he listed Princeton, Minnesota as his address. The criminal complaint says he was running for president in 2007 when the 16-year-old girl wrote a message of support on his MySpace page. She told police they began dating online, and the threats began when she tried to break off the relationship. She told police that, quote, in a desperate attempt to get him to leave her alone, she had emailed him that she was a member of an elite vampire hunter society and that continuing their relationship would put him in danger. Her father told police he talked to Sharky, but Sharky continued to call the girl and write letters to her parents. He was charged with felony harassment and two misdemeanors, coercion with a threat to inflict bodily harm and coercion with a threat to expose a secret or disgrace. That's a, that's a crime. <laughs> Sharky was supposed to appear in court in New Jersey in August, but got a delay by saying he had been hurt in a pro wrestling match. <laughs> what did I say? What did I always say about... Yeah. All right, all right, never mind. He then missed a September hearing and a warrant was issued. The complaint says Sharky told a Rochester police sergeant who called him last August that he was a vampire, quote, who needs to drink human blood for strength, end quote. It says he referred to the Rochester girl as his wife and princess. Last August, he also wrote a letter threatening to sue the county attorney's office for wrongful and vindictive prosecution. Just the the absurdity of that is... I, I love the fact that when he can profess himself to be a vampire, with, well, I'm a vampire hunter. <laughs> you got outsmarted by a 16-year-old girl. Admit to it. It's, it's Just, fine. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. It's all right. It's fine. 
at least it wasn't Chris Hansen. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you kind of got off lucky there. So, hey, all right. I'll read my other vampire story at the end. So, Matt Costa, what do you have for us? All right, from the AP. Descendants of Geronimo have sued uh, Skull and Bones Secret Society. Excuse me. I don't believe you pronounced his name right. What? It's a Geronimo! Geronimo! Okay, okay. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm not jumping out of a plane. <laughs> Just reading the story. <laughs> uh, claiming that its members stole the remains of the legendary Apache leader decades ago and have kept them ever since. Geronimo's great-grandson, Harlan, Harlan Geronimo, said his family believes Skull and Bones members took some of the remains in 1918 from a burial plot in Fort Sill, Oklahoma, to keep it in, the new ha- in its New Haven clubhouse. The, the alleged grave robbing is a long, long-standing legend that gained some validity in the recent years with the discovery of a, le- of a letter from a club member that described the theft. According to the lore, members of Skull and Bones, including, including former President George W. Bush's grandfather, Prescott Bush, dug up his grave when a group of, a group of Army volunteers from Yale were, were stationed at the fort during World War I, taking his skull and some of his bones. Harlan Geronimo wants those remains and any held by the federal government turned over to the family so that they can be re- reburied near the Native American leader's birthplace in southern New Mexico. Yale officials declined to comment Wednesday, saying that they have not seen the lawsuit. Spokesman Tom Conroy noted that the skull and bones crypt, and the bones are not likely to be Geronimo's. So. There you go. I didn't mean to be disrespectful to the memory of Geronimo with that. I know that it actually upsets his descendants uh, that they actually use the word Geronimo when when jumping from a high place. Yeah, yeah. So do I mean, I do. They do. They do get upset by that. So I do apologize for that. I just couldn't resist. That's fine. We've all been there. <laughs> to the point where we're jumping off something high, or that we um, insulted the entire Native American culture. A little of both, I guess. Yes, I I have done that frequently. Usually, when I jump from a high place, I I do that. Goofy laugh. Uh, goofy. <laughs> I try to do that one. I want to be respectful. Yeah, but who would you rather tick off? The Native American people or Disney's copyright infringement lawyers? They are a uh, ruthless bunch. They are. Disneyland ain't all happy and fun <laughs> smiles when you get into the business aspect of it. Speaking of goofy, Matt Moniz, what do you have for us? Woohoo! Don't put me in the Disney vault. <laughs> Gosh! <laughs> right next to Walt's head. <laughs> oh, boy. we still got a long way to go before human beings can be beamed from one place to another, Star Trek style. But a team of scientists at the University of Maryland has achieved, nonetheless, a milestone in teleportation. According to the website, Live Science, the university's Joint Quantum Institute, for the first time, was able to teleport information between two separate atoms across a distance of a meter, about one step for a human adult. Generally, teleportation works thanks to a remarkable quantum phenomenon called entanglement, which occurs only when the atomic and subatomic scale. Once the two objects are put into an entangled state, their properties, and in layman's terms, if they are entang- in an entangled mode, what you will see on one is what you will get on the other. The JQI team set out 
to entangle the quantum states of two individual ubiquitous ions, so information embodied in one could be teleported to the other. Each ion was isolated in separate high vacuum traps and suspended in invisible cages of electromagnetic fields and surrounded by metal electrodes. After that, the equipment worked like this. Single protons from each of the two ions in separate traps interacted at a beam splitter. Okay. When both detectors recorded a photon simultaneously, the ions were entangled. At that point, ion A was measured, revealing exactly what operation had been performed on ion B. It is important to note that the achievement is not any form of conventional communication. This is because this teleportation has uh, little information pertaining to the original object, but the information is what travels. Instead, the information measured from the first object appears on the second object. The research was supported in part by Intelligence Advanced Research Project's activity programs under the U.S. Army Research Office contract. It looks like the military's interest in teleportation remains strong. Who knows? This might mean we will catch Osama bin Laden soon. We uh, we at the uh, the Walmart, and uh, <laughs> all of a sudden you made it back into the car, and we're like looking around the store, like where's Moniz? So maybe you're actually on the forefront of the teleport research, and you just can't say anything. Um, not at liberty to confirm or deny that. Well, I mean, if it was going to happen, I mean, are we going to see it Star Trek style for real, where it breaks down all the atoms and reassembles them somewhere else? Oh, that type of uh, thing is not. Totally unfeasible. Uh, believe it or not, that that can happen. I, I mean, all it takes is the right amount of power and right amount of material and a really big computer that can uh, keep track of everything. But what they're talking about here is not out of the realms of possibility. We've already got the basics down. Now it's just a matter of scaling up. I always thought it would be hilarious if, like, just once in a while, you know, maybe we'll see it in the new Star Trek movie. <clears throat> When they use the, the teleport transporter there, if, if like, all of a sudden, you know, like, uh, Scotty came down with, like, Spock's ears, and, like, you know, <laughs> Bones' face was, like, impaled on, like, Kirk's butt or something, like, that would have, <laughs> like, that, that stuff never happened, but, you know, sometimes, you know, look what happened to poor Mike TV in the chocolate factory. I was going to say, what about the fly? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It doesn't always reassemble, which, you know, when we're talking about putting stuff together, I watched Jurassic Park recently. And I was thinking to myself, you know, they filled in those gaps in the dinosaur DNA with frog DNA. Like, they really just got lucky that the pieces of DNA that were missing weren't really that important to making them look like dinosaurs instead of frogs. Mm. Uh, that's some whacked out science, let me tell you. Well, here's a little bit of whacked out information for you. A good 80% of the DNA that you got is useless in, <laughs> real, in, in relative terms. Uh, a lot of it is just recessive material. And we share a good, depending upon the species, 60 to to 40% uh, of the same genetic material. Hmm. Yeah. Well, as long as we can't reproduce ourselves like the frogs could, which is what led to the dinosaurs. Last quick story from the... Per- the movie. <laughs> the dinosaurs aren't robots. Wink, wink. From the Purdue exponent of Purdue University, uh, by the way, the giant creature in Cloverfield <laughs> is a reptile. 
Is it? <laughs> That's the all-time classic ruining a movie for me. Thanks. Uh, what's his name? Was it a guy from Fox News? Or? I think it was a guy from uh, WLW out of Chicago, yeah. Terry Lewis. From the Purdue exponent of Purdue University. I know, I'm calling out other radio people on there. From the Purdue exponent of Purdue U- University. Vampires have flooded popular culture and captivated Purdue students, but experts say it has little correlation with people actually believing in the paranormal. Uh, according to Glenn Sparks, professor of communication and popular cultural analyst, he says the data actually shows beliefs in the paranormal have been remarkably steady over time. Surveys from the 70s to today demonstrate similar percentages of people who express paranormal beliefs. Sparks also said paranormal elements' presence in the media can reinforce or discourage people's beliefs. Movies such as Twilight have certainly elevated vampires into the radar. However, any emergence of a phenomenon like this is made of complex forces. It's not like vampires are all of a sudden popular because of Twilight, Sparks said. It is a function of what things are, of what things are in that pipeline. When and where a story is a fictional story, vampires in the book series and now the film Twilight are representative of today and a high school vampires. Uh, in a movie like Twilight, he says, you have a fictional presentation, but it is to the extent of the belief system that people may have. A person has a very deep anchor on a particular belief, seeing something that counters that belief, then it might be like a force on that anchor. Yeah, that's great stuff, Glenn. But the stream of vampires in pop culture today is not unprecedented. Vampires have been well represented in literature throughout history. James Narni, professor of psychological sciences, has studied human cognition and vampires. Vampires fit the mold for what a supernatural concept should be, he said. From a cognitive perspective, people respond to supernatural concepts that have characteristics similar to what is perceived to be normal, which is one reason why vampires have endured the test of time. They do everything you and I can do, he said. It's easy for people to identify with. They have only one or two counterintuitive properties. So there you go. Just one or two? (laughs) Well, the whole not dying thing and turning into bats and whatever else you want to include into the vampire myth, but... I want to thank you for the very, very small. Print that was on printed <laughs> directly from the, uh, directly from the web, which I don't normally do. But I was in a hurry for that story That's when I saw right. it. I was like, I better grab this now before I forget to get it. This is a perfect Moni story. So, all right, well, there, good story. Yeah, there you have it. The week and weird for this week, and and boy, we stretched that out as long as we could. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk more about the paranormal. We'll also take your calls five zero five hundred. 508-291-0500. Of course, you can email us, SpookyCrew, at SpookySouthCoast.com. So we'll be right back in just a few minutes with more here on Spooky South Coast. Who's that, Matt That was uh, Jumpin' Gene Simmons. Is it not, not, not the same Gene Simmons? I was going to say, he sounds a little subdued there. Not Lick It Up Gene Simmons. <laughs> <laughs> that would be Jump Your Bones Gene Simmons, not Jumpin' Gene Simmons. 
In fact, if we say Gene Simmons, I think we have to pay him some uh, some sort of royalties. Also, if you use the word Blumkin. All right, welcome <laughs> back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz. And uh, for those of you in the immediate area of the Spooky Studio, we apologize for the smell. It's not us. We're not the ones stinking up uh, Fairhaven right now, but uh, oh, it's bad out there tonight. <laughs> a little bit of a uh, inside radio for those of you not in the know uh, here at the. The lovely WBSM studios here for for whatever reason, and I'm not blaming the plaza or anybody, you know, but uh, there's always a, a, an interesting odor wafting uh, through the parking lot on Saturday nights, and we're going to say it comes from uh, from the ocean. We'll ju- we'll just say that we'll we'll say it's a a distinctly a low tide. Yes, a, <laughs> a moon low tide uh, scent, and uh, for some reason tonight it has actually permeated the walls. Of the spooky studio, and uh, it's made its way in. So, and, and you, you kind of get used to it for a little bit. And then you step out of the room to get a drink or use the restroom and come back, <laughs> and it's like, oh, oh my god, maybe it's a ghost, maybe it's a a, a demon. Time to call the Johnsons again. Time, time to call Jason and Grant because I I don't think it's a, I think it's more of a plumbing issue. Let <laughs> <laughs> it, it is a paranormal issue, but. Uh, all right, this is the kind of stuff we talk about during the commercial <laughs> breaks, for those of you who are always wondering. That and, you know, all the uh, swears that we held our tongue and didn't say during the previous 15 to 20 minutes worth of systems. It's kind of like as soon as the uh, as soon as the like a Tourette's Yeah, we have Tourette's in here. <laughs> Man, we're going to get letters. We're going to get all kinds of letters tonight. So there you go. All right, well, if you would like to join in the conversation, and God help you if you do, 508-996-0500. 508-291-0500. Those are the numbers. You can also email us, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. And, of course, we've been getting a lot of emails uh, as we posted up previous episodes of the show and, and people have gotten a chance to hear. And I'm getting a lot of response about the Fearing Tavern episode, which was long awaited and finally made it to, uh, to the Internet because uh, even Craig didn't have it on the Blogspot site. That was like the one show he missed. So so now he's got it up on his site. It's up on ours. and. It's uh, it's in the um, it's in the uh, podcast feed. And we're getting a lot of responses to those EVPs that we captured, and I think we're going to start to see a lot of debate about this. Uh, Matt Costa is not a big believer in the EVPs that we captured. Uh, he thinks that we're kind of reading into it a little bit too much. And, and uh, other- I have to disagree. Some of those are definitely. Uh- like the little girl, want to play dress up? You cannot oh, tell me that. I'm not denying that they're not there. I'm just saying I think uh, they might be saying something other than the interpretation is. Okay, then what was that little girl saying? I don't know. <laughs> oh, that, one, that one's well, pretty I'm, clear. I mean, that one's hard yeah. to debate. Or the one with uh, from India, although I don't know if that actually made it onto the show. The one I don't know, I don't we, we got shushed. I'm not sure if I heard that one. That was, that one's a definite. But uh, you can check out the show for yourself and let us know what you think of those EVPs. And, of course, email us, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. Let us know what you think. But uh, also, I just want to make everybody aware for those um, who keep up to date with Penny Dreadful Shilling Shockers, that, that great uh, horror program that's on cable access. And if you uh, want to know if it's on in your area, ShillingShockers.com. And it's uh, S-C-H. It's not like... I mean, it's S-H-I-L-L-I-N-G. It's not like Kurt Schilling with a C. Uh, but she just wants everybody to know that, uh, once again, they are nominated for uh, Best horror, uh, Favorite Horror Host in the Rondo Awards. And you can actually go and vote for their program. And they won last year, of course. They're the defending champions, uh, Favorite Horror Hosts. 
So uh, if you just go to rondoaward.com, R-O-N-D-O award.com, not named after Rajan Rondo, the Celtics point guard, but spelled the same way, R-O-N-D-O award.com, and uh, you can vote. And there's a number of different categories that you can vote in. Uh, you can also um, email your choices to uh, T-A-R-A-C-O at AOL.com. We'll call that Taraco, T-A-R-A-C-O at AOL.com and RondoAward.com to be able to vote. And definitely get on and vote for Penny Dreadful. Even if you've never seen the show, trust us. She is the favorite horror host of America. They are great. They really are. And you know what? We, we got a chance to see this firsthand when we, uh, when we brought them over to uh, Borders in, in Wareham uh, for the children's story time. We got to see what they're like when they get out and they interact with the public and when they're in, you know, in the costumes talking yep. to the kids. And I mean, my son is four, and, and he thought they were hysterical. He thought they were great. So, you know, they're definitely campy. They're fun. They're not out to scare little kids. It's, it's, it's a great program for the whole family to watch. Some of the jokes are a little. Uh, yeah. <laughs> some of the jokes can get a little off. Kids are, huh? Yeah, but that's all right. It's your choice as a parent whether or not you want to explain it. Uh, but uh, just the fact that you know they, they understand what the audience wants. You know, they're not they're not trying to scare you. They're not trying to be. They're trying to be true to us in these these programs, and they're not all about the the schlock that's out there now where. You know, now can you only? I can only imagine what it would be like if they tried to put like that, you know, Friday the Thirteenth sensibility into like a horror host type thing. It'd be like the Crypt Keeper every week. Even the Crypt Keeper was, you know, a sarcastic guy cracking jokes. But yeah. you know, they they keep it back to the to the way it was, in, in the true good old days of television. So, and what's wrong with that? You know, what's wrong with uh, having a little bit of a fun with horror? It always makes us appreciate it more when we're scared. Hmm. That's the way I see it. All right. And then, of course, uh, if you go to shillingshockers.com, you can check out their site. You can see the episode that we all did, too. That was a lot of fun. We should uh, harass her to let us back on the show soon. I know she talked about wanting to film something at the Fearing Tavern just because of the look that the place has. So we can probably uh, help her work something out there. Hmm. All right. That actually probably would be a good place for her to do a show from. Sure. And I'm sure Wareham would love it. Speaking of Wareham, a big thank you to everybody that came out to the – to the Abraham Lincoln night that we had Monday night. Uh, just a little bit of a paranormal bit when, when I got up and I talked about Abraham Lincoln's uh, psychic abilities and, and his ghost haunting the White House. But, I mean, it seemed to be the part people were the most interested in, I have to say. A lot of people came up to me afterwards and were talking with me about, hey, you know, I never knew about that, you know, great information. And, and that's what I think people are starting to realize is there's these little bit of paranormal touches to everything. You know, and, and I found George Washington stories. Of course, Jeff Belanger, yeah. who's here with us once a month, wrote Who's Haunting the White House. Uh, so there's a number of stories out there. One thing that I thought was really interesting when I was researching this is I remembered when we talked to Jeff before about Who's Haunting the White House that the White House website, whitehouse.gov, had a page about the ghosts. Uh, a lot of the ghost stories that were up there and, and uh, hunted for us before. And some of them were... You know, just legends and tales, but it, it was just interesting to me that the White House would put that website up. And then I went back to check it again while doing research for my presentation, and it wasn't there. So I emailed Jeff. I was like, what's, what's up with that? And Jeff said that every president gets to design, you know, he, he has people that design the website for right. his administration and how they want it to reflect the administration. So when Obama, Barack Obama took over, he got rid of the ghost page. 
him or her, his advisors, whoever made the call, but it was the Obama administration that said, well, we don't need that ghost page there. So for the listeners who have uh, accused me of being anti-Bush and pro-Obama, it's happened. I'm actually pretty neutral on the whole matter. I mean, I, I will say I did vote for Obama, but that's because, you know, I wanted to see something different. But And I'm going to keep my mouth shut. I know you are, because I, I, <laughs> I've, I've been to your MySpace page. And pretty soon the Secret Service will be at your MySpace page. I'm not too. worried about the Secret Service. I'm worried about the brown shirts. Who are the brown shirts? Look up history. Okay. It's just repeating itself. All right. Well, we, we can get into that off the air and all kinds of stuff. But, but uh, for those, I haven't accused of that. And I know that I'm not being sensitive about it to the, to the emailer. I'm just saying I can crack on both sides as well. And I actually I, I don't condone that. I, I'm sorry that Obama can't have, I don't want to say a sense of humor because it's not necessarily funny, but I, I, he can't let that mystique of the White House be remain a part of his website. I think that that's... That you know the the White House website is not your website, even though you get the chance to redesign it. Inside. It's not only just about the administration; it's about the historical landmark and the National Park Monument that the White House is. Right. So. Well, the ghosts were there before him; they'll be there long exactly. after him. So. So I think you know you kind of have to be respectful to the building and to the stories that go around the building. But as he's shown, he really doesn't seem to have any kind of time or any kind of uh, sense of interest to talk about anything remotely paranormal. And I want to know why. <laughs> I really want to know why. What happened to young Barry that he doesn't want to share with us? Hmm. 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 <laughs> Matt is on the uh, website now. I was going to say they probably added the page back on just to make me look stupid, but I do not see it there. Nope. Nope. Well, I mean, what's your, what's your thoughts on that, Matt Moniz? Do you think that... About Barack Obama. No, I don't want to get into that. We don't, <laughs> no. It's not that kind of program. But uh, what's your thoughts on the idea of, of, you know, here we saw them accepting the idea of the White House being haunted, and now the new administration wants nothing to do with that. Do you think that this is something that should be recognized anyway as like a national park part of the, the tour, part of the history of the building? Or do you think that you can kind of understand why they would want to eliminate that from, you know, what they hope is going to be an all-business White, White House website? Well, I understand why they did it. They they don't want any negative connotations associated with their administration. Are there still those negative connotations, though, really? When you're talking about a, a building it's that's hundreds of years old. Okay, and shall I, let me rephrase that. Potentially perceived. Negative I'm, I'm going to tell you what this is all about, at least what I think it's all about. And it's 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 sad because I would almost agree with the Obama administration. But what there's I mean, I understand like they're they need to put their own stamp on things and to say, OK, you know, the old administration, did, they were kind of cool with being, you know, here's the folklore story. And we're going to be like, now nah, we need that space to be all business. You know, I kind of can understand that approach to things. But to me, it's almost like they're trying to say, hey, that last guy, man, what a goof. You know, he believes in ghosts. What a whack job. And we don't believe in ghosts. Look at our site. No ghosts. You know, it's almost like there's that little slap in the face to, to Bush and to Bush's administration for being willing to put that story up there, to put those stories up there. So I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. 
I'm not really trying to start a political debate here either. I'm just saying. And it's, that's why I'm keeping my we're looking at We're looking at two different people, two different outlooks, and I just can't understand why. It's like if, you know, all of a sudden the Lizzie Borden house got sold and the new owners wanted nothing to do with the ghost history of the place. Well, you can't because now that door has been opened. You can open. try that. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> door has been opened. and, and The house may have other ideas. Yeah, so it's just, I don't know. You're only a, a, a part-time resident of the White House, no matter what. Even if you're FDR, you only get, you know, X amount of years in there. So you kind of have to let the building be the building and have your administration be your administration. There's no need to, to cut out things that have to do with the actual building itself. You can hide the history all you want. doesn't mean the history didn't happen. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Matt Cossie, your thoughts? I don't guess it. <laughs> Whatever it is, I'm against it. <laughs> what are you against, actually? Everything. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, if you'd like to find out more about uh, the presidential history of ghosts, uh, we're going to be I'm going to be presenting it at the Bay State Paranormal Center coming up in March. I believe it's March 2nd. And then March 9th is going to be the first paranormal in the media course, which is not really a class. It's not really a, a, a lecture as much as it is, comes in and talks about you know, what it is, that they like. kind of like what we did earlier. You know, what's good about the paranormal media? What's bad? What needs to change? Where is it going? Where has it been? And I just kind of want everybody to come and sit around and kind of have a little bull session about all that stuff. Uh, that'll be on March 9th. And then on March 2nd, that'll be the Monday before that, it'll be the Paranormal Presidency. So uh, if you'd like to check it out, just go to BayStateParanormalCenter.com, and you can call there and... Excuse me, make an advanced reservation for the class, and I think it's only like $10 for the class. So you can't beat it, especially in this economy uh, where there's you know very little you can do. I, I've, I read something this week that said movie uh, attendance is actually on the rise, sharply on the rise, um, because people want to just get away from everything that's on TV and on the news. It's just le- repeating like they did in the Great Depression in the early um, 20s and 30s. And what did we get out of that? We got great movies. Actually, we did. Yeah. <laughs> And now what do we have? Eh. You know, <laughs> music and movies, two businesses that are kind of crashing um, before the economic downfall. I think this actually, this bad economy might actually save those two mediums. Well, that's one of the reasons supposedly why um, the paranormal is picked up because <laughs> ghost hunting on, in a relative term is free. And mm-hmm. if you can get the right places to cooperate with you and stuff like that, it's a cheap thrill to, I mean, yeah, great. I, I appreciate you know the the attention being paid, but um, to just do it as a cheap thrill. I mean, in some cases, yeah, you're gonna get that. Other cases, if you don't know what you're doing, you're gonna get more than you paid for. Well, but I think bargain for to some degree, you know, if you say, hey, look, I don't have a whole lot of money to spend, and I don't have a lot in the you know the recreation budget this year. Maybe I'm just gonna go to Gettysburg, you know, make the drive to Gettysburg. And try to hang around and see if I can document anything. You know, that's, yeah. you know, it's not really going to be a problem. I think it's when it's when people start and, and it's happening too much. They try to look at it as, hey, the paranormal is popular right now. Everything else is in the tank, but the paranormal seems to be increasing in popularity. I'm going to hitch my wagon to that and try and turn my profit that way. <clears throat> Parallelations. I mean, you know what I mean, <laughs> though. I mean, people that are starting these these with the hopes of trying to use now as a way to get their paranormal TV show, their radio show, whatever they're trying to get going. And, and, you know, they might not be ready 
but they think this is the time because their regular job isn't working and they have this interest in it and people are interested in it, so they think now's the time to pull the trigger on it. And, you know, that's not really the ideal circumstances to get anything going. Hmm. But uh, in terms of people that just want to get out there and, and try to find that experience and have that experience, I'm all for that. Yeah, well. uh, that's, that's definitely. But even when you start to get more involved in it, you're going to realize, oh, wait a minute. I can get a digital recorder for 20 30 bucks. I can get a digital camera for 100 bucks. I can get an EMF detector that's decent enough to do the job for 30 40 bucks. You know, 100 150 if I want to get a tri-field. Yeah. You know, you can pretty much buy everything that you need to conduct investigations. For under $1,000. Yeah, well under $1,000. And if you team up with other people, you buy the EMF, I'll buy the camera. You buy the this, I'll buy the that. You know, then you're able to this pretty good amount of equipment for, for short money. But when what ends up happening is the latest, greatest thing comes out, and everybody starts flocking to it, and they're charging eight or nine hundred dollars for it. You know, you're going to start getting a bunch of these devices that people are selling for five hundred to fifteen hundred to five thousand dollars that aren't really making any more, aren't documenting anything any more than the five and ten dollar pieces of equipment. So then what's going to happen is you're going to have a backlash from the investigators toward the people that are making this equipment, which is going to make these people want to not invest their time and money in creating this equipment. And, you know, that's where you're going to start to see a lot of the, the, the harm that can be done is because, you know, it, yeah, you're not delivering. You're basically making something that's a, you know, caution, may prove ghosts. You ain't going to get that. I mean, I'm from the old school. Mm-hmm. You just give me a, a recorder and a camera, and the rest is, you know, my body and my brain going around looking for what's going on. Taking the picture of I'm able to see the thing happening, letting a recorder record what's happening. Okay. Any more than that, if you if you using these other devices, great. They're an, they're a nice added tool for more data, but you're never gonna get it to prove anything. You know, because they're not an not a known or uh established piece of media. Well the, pure plain and simple. As we always say, the most important things to to bring into an investigation are your own two eyes and your common sense. Yeah. I mean, and I, I have to tell you, I usually bring my eyes with me. Uh, common sense is something I'm sometimes short on. As anybody that listens to this show knows very well. What are you looking up there, Matt Costa? Are you looking up next week's program? Because I can tell you what it is. Tell me what it is. Oh, next week's going to be huge. Next week, uh, we're going to actually celebrate, if you can get this, we're going to celebrate Black History Month like in the last two hours of the month. And I apologize for that. That was not intentional. That's just the way schedules worked out. Uh, I don't want to make it seem like we're kind of short, shorting uh, Black History Month by doing waiting till the end of the month to, to have something that reflects that normal and blues music. And you might be scratching your head saying, well, what, what do the two have to do with each other? And you will be surprised uh, by how much... Paranormal themes run through blues music in general. Uh, how much the the devil has been responsible oh. for a number of of blues hits and legendary performers. And uh, we're going to have Carl Wood, who's uh, part of the Wood Brothers band. He also goes by the name Chops Chops Wood. He's going to be in here uh, playing some songs and and discussing it with us. Uh, I know Matt Koss is going to be playing DJ over there and running some songs for us, some Robert Johnson, uh, some various other songs as well. And we're hoping to get our Gary Patterson. I, I'm still waiting to hear back from him. But uh, how can we do this program without talking to my favorite Spooky South Coast guest of all time, our Gary Patterson? So 
We'll let you know what's happening with that. You can stay up to date all week long on the website, SpookySouthCoast.com. Matt Koss has got the uh, archive shows posted up there. We're going to be getting even more up there uh, in the next coming week. We're hoping to uh, make sure that we can get them all uh, up there and, and caught up to date so we can get them up each week as they air. But if you can't get them that way, then certainly go to SpookySouthCoast.blogspot.com, our friend Craig's site there that he runs, and he gets it up there within hours after it airs. Uh, and, of course, you can always uh, – Check it out there as well if you can't wait. And, you know, sometimes you can't wait. I don't blame you. Nope. We're damn good. And it's free. And it's free. <laughs> it's free. In this kind of economy, we're like the perfect thing because it, it doesn't cost the station anything to produce the show because we don't get paid. It doesn't cost us anything to, to really produce the show. I mean, it's, it's a couple of hundred dollars a year between website and podcasting fees, but, you know, we can certainly keep doing it. It certainly doesn't cost the listener anything because we put the show out there for free. We put the free podcasts out there and everything. Sooner or later, though, we're going to reach the point where just the gas to get here is going to be a pain in the butt. Uh, just thinking about it. Back back to $4 a gallon. That's why we make Moniz drink. By then, we'll beam to the On that, Moniz. <laughs> All right, well, until next week, from Matt Coster, from Matt Moniz, I'm Tim Weisberg. We want you all to stay spooktacular. Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy, and what you have just heard was not fiction. Although, in many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. It's a when winter weather hits, tune to AM 1420, WDSF. Until yesterday begins again. Tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. Look, I know the supernatural is something that...